This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's episode, we're talking about financial therapy. More specifically, we're talking about the difference between financial therapy and traditional financial planning. By definition, financial therapy is a process designed to help people think, feel, and behave differently with money using evidence-based practices and interventions to guide them. And by contrast, financial planning is a process of determining a few financial goals, the time allotted to reach them, and the resources that will be available along the way uh, to help fund each of those goals. If you've ever wanted to peel back a couple of layers to better understand how your money mindset was ever even formed in the first place, or maybe why some of the people around you always seem to have it all figured out when it comes to their personal finances, while you're still stuck at first base, or if you continually find yourself asking why for your spouse or partner, certain negative financial habits just seem so hard to break. Even when the better decision seems so obvious to you, then this episode is definitely for you. I'll be speaking with the brand new president-elect of the Financial Therapy Association, Dr. Preston Cherry. In addition to his work with the FTA, Preston is a doctor of philosophy with a PhD in general financial planning. He's also a professor of personal finance at the University of Wisconsin at Green Bay, a certified financial planner, and he's the founder and president of Concurrent Financial Planning. Needless to say, this guy's both passionate about the profession and he knows how to keep himself busy, obviously. So with that brief introduction, welcome Dr. Preston Cherry to the Tech Money Podcast. Hi, Malcolm. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. So I breezed through your resume a little bit, as I like to do uh, while introducing you. What did I miss? <laughs> well, not too much. I I do keep myself busy. We are starting a, a personal financial planning program here at UWGB for short as you mentioned, I do run a practice. I do some coaching, some advisor coaching as well. I do mentorship for the up and coming planners in the in the profession. And I also do well. The coaching is for the professionals as well. So I do coaching on the beginning end of the spectrum, and then the the middle and later ends of the spectrum as well. So and then just a lot of uh, board worked board work in the profession, just to try to make an impact on any way that I can. You 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 are spot on there. <laughs> I do keep busy. To say the least. 
as I mentioned in the lead up, right, financial therapy is a process around thinking and feeling as it pertains to your money, right? Along with some mm-hmm. evidence-based interventions, as you guys like to say. So to me, that sounds like I'll end up sitting on a couch with a psychologist talking about my earliest money memories and my relationship with my parents and shedding a few tears. Mm-hmm. Like, is that even close to accurate? <laughs> you you could. Because uh, okay. <laughs> uh, financial therapy, yes, when you're talking about sitting down with a clinician, you know, a a trained medical clinician that you're going through therapy. So as the as the organizational title suggests, you're talking about a deeper discovery process and also a deeper relationship or feeling about money. Something is hindering you in a sense that it's it's more of a a, a really a life event or a life feeling or or a well-being matter that must be unpacked and discovered before we get even we we even address the financial planning aspect of it hmm. so you're talking about really uh, opening up a, about one's emotion uh, discovering something that may have been known or not known consciously or, uh, or subconsciously all right so there's just many different ways a a trained therapist particularly a financial therapist because this is a specific field that can speak with you to uncover these these emotions, behavioral aspects, psychological aspects that are uh, potentially hindering your your progress with with Monday. Say a little bit more about that real quick, though. What type of training are your therapists undergoing that help them to be able to understand how to even get in there? dig around and ask those questions to, to try and bring people to some sort of end result? Sure. So, um, see, I'm not trained in that area, not not mm-hmm. uh, not not clinically trained. We'll talk about integrating some, you know, money psychology just in general into the financial planning process and what it allows. However, you know, some of my friends or colleagues that are in the FTA, you know, they are uh, clinically trained. You're talking about, uh, I'm of philosophy doctorate, but there's mm-hmm. psychology, there's PsyD, right? Psychology doctorates. You're talking about they went through that training, that educational training in order to become a medical doctor, psychology doctor, in order to un- un- unpack those those type of things. Okay. So you you got where I was going. These people spend some some real time in school learning how to do this by profession. This is not a person who goes to Instagram University for a couple of weekends and then you know <laughs> throws up a website and suddenly they become you know, a financial therapist. This is a person who genuinely like this is what they do. So that's really the 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 contrast that I wanted to make sure we we got out there and and help mm-hmm. people to understand. Speaking of contrast, like I mentioned that the whole focus of this show was going to be financial planning versus financial therapy in its traditional sense. By definition, financial planning is a process determining a few financial goals, as I mentioned, the time allotted to reach them and the resources that you'll have available along the way to reach those goals. Right. Like that's kind of the agreed upon definition by those Mm -hmm. of us in the in the uh, in the field. How Mm -hmm. is that similar or different from financial therapy? Right. So when you're talking about financial therapy, you're, you're talking about, again, relational. So you're talking about marriage and family therapy. You're talking about behavioral psychology, uh, emotion, 
Okay, those things, like you said at the top of the hour, you're talking about you may shed a tear, you may shed some smiles, you, you may go, go through a whole realm of, of emotional discovery to, to unpack these relationships, connections, uh, reactions, uh, practices, all of these things with, with money. And, and that needs to be unpacked. There's a process for that just alone, right? That's why it's segmented, okay? Hmm. Because that's why it's segmented. Then when somebody is captures their well-being enough, okay, in all those areas, then we can start saying, okay, then let's enter into the financial planning process. Now, I'd like to piggyback off what we were talking about, about the, the clinicians, you know, the, the trained therapists. That doesn't mean that a, a financial planner cannot specialize in financial therapy exercises and practices are knowing how to pick up on certain things, behavioral and, and emotional and relational and whatnot, and then have interventions or tools at their disposal to help their clients through that. However, when it gets to a level that it takes a medically trained individual or professional, excuse me, to really uh, unpack those areas, then, then then there needs to be a referral. And, and, and there are two separate processes when you're talking about the level of each of these. Now, now they can be integrated in practice, but when you're talking about some, somebody that really needs some, some therapy, then there's two, there's two separate processes. So if I may put that succinctly a little bit, it, it sounds like hearing a financial planner basically helps you manage your money, right? Like the the ones and zeros, the binary piece of it is where the financial planner comes into place. But the financial therapist is really helping you manage your thoughts and, and feelings and emotions, right, about money, the, the warm and fuzzies, if you will, about money. Yes. I mean, again, there's two, two, two processes there. But I would say this, and I'm glad that you are drilling down on this, on this part. The financial planning process the, the steps, it allows for the planner to address with their client psychology of money, behaviors, emotions, relations, all uh, relationships with money, all of that. It allows for it. And it just hasn't been practiced continuously o- over over the time span as far as uh, how, how planners practice. I mean, they're getting more into it now, the, the more personable side of financial planning, because it is personal financial mm-hmm. planning. <laughs> okay. And it's really, when you're talking about getting to know, right, you, you, the step one is, is, is engaging, right? Establishing the relationship. Then when you get into the step two of the process, you are learning more about your client, the values, the other uh, goals. Okay. Yes. The, the personal aspects, that step has always allowed for the discovery of the other aspects, your overall well-being, approach and processing your relationship and your behaviors uh, with money. It's always allowed for it. That's why one of my favorite questions that I open with when I sit down with couples, you know, I sit across the table from husband and wife and two people obviously think differently about everything, really, but money specifically. (laughs) One of my favorite questions to start with is just tell me about your relationship with money. And mm-hmm. just shut up, 
and let them kind of mm-hmm. give me sort of where they've been, where they come from. And you find out some really interesting things about people and their upbringings and everything else that goes into the way they think about money. And then you see them look at look sideways at each other, kind of like, I've never heard you say that before. I didn't know that was a thing. So it's really it's really interesting to me. And you're right in that in that exercise to, to kind of understand your client. But let's talk for a moment about a phrase that I used in my opening, which is money mindset, right? Which I use kind of liberally, but basically just a way to describe a person, the way a person thinks and feels about money in general, right? The way I just kind of mentioned it, that I open up the, the, the floor to a couple who I'm meeting with for one of our very first meetings. It's their like deep seated beliefs or behaviors even as it pertains to their money. What are some of the more interesting money mindsets that you've encountered before, both good and bad? Wow, there's 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 so many. Uh, but, you know, here's the thing, too. There, people are not all that different. People, uh, folks are individuals and they're unique like fingerprints. OK, mm-hmm. but when you get down to certain aspects of life, there are some very common similarities. If you have a family, you want your kids to have the best school, the best access to education. Uh, safety, you know, uh, good food, provide a roof over your head, all these things. And, and people aspire. They try to uh, gather the resources in order to deliver that to their to their loved ones. Similar yeah. things with similar things with money. You start seeing some repeats. It's kind of like having a rerun on a TV show. <laughs> One consistent is uncertainty, consistent uncertainty, uncertainty. Asking oneself all these questions, do do I have enough? Am I saving enough? Am I doing the right thing? Are we going down the right path? What's coming down the path that we don't Mm -hmm. know about? These are all the uncertainty. It's consistent. And you can, another word for that or a couple of words that you can put in there is uh, anxiety, right? Worry, Mm -hmm. stress, to to your point when you're talking about relationships. But it doesn't necessarily have to be relationships. You're talking about uh, uh, between spouses, parents and children. If one is single, there's that inner debate, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, A person gets person is kind of like literary, right? Uh, Man versus man and this, that, and the (laughs) other. But so your marital status really doesn't matter, but that's a consistent battle to deal with those things. As you well know, it's the top... uh, stressor or mm-hmm. or, or in, in, in houses in the U.S. Money, number one. And not necessarily how much of it you have or, you know, hey, we, we could be earning more. You're not earning enough. It's more about the uncertainty. Yeah. What's coming down the path, what we're not prepared for, and are we doing enough? Though that's, that's really the discussion. If I've got a person who is, as you're putting it, and we'll, we'll get to the stress side of it, in a moment, but just the anxiety of, or the insecurity may even be a better word of, mm-hmm. do I know enough? Am I doing enough? Do I know enough to make a decision here? Right. I can't mm-hmm. make a decision because I'm not sure if I'm making the right decision, that sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. how as a, uh, how as a, a financial th- a therapist, am I helping that person move beyond that blocking point? The power is in the process. Okay. The power, power is in the process, and one has to. And I and I have my own process a little bit, and I call it the the ah moment. And everybody's had their own individual ah moments, but I use three A's in mine, which is, mm-hmm. you know, for, first you have to admit that mm-hmm. there is something, whatever that is, whatever we're talking about, there's there's something going on that we need to address. Okay, what is that subject? What is that issue? 
or what is that matter of hand? Then we have to acknowledge how we feel uh, about that. Uh, all, all of those emotions that it could be, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative all the time, but and necessarily emotions are not negative either. It's, I don't want to put a stigma on it, but uh, we want to acknowledge how we do feel. That's, that's, is it shame? Is it guilt? Is it, um, am I overwhelmed? What is that? Over, overjoyed? Am I overconfident? That's a thing. Yeah. Being overconfident, that's a thing. Oh, yeah. What is that? Well, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm good. I'm good. I hear that a lot. I'm good. How's your finances? I'm good. It's like, mm, the statistics don't bear that. And let me see that bank statement. But anyway, but yes, a- acknowledging your feelings, okay? And, and processing those, Malcolm. Processing those. Then we get to the action. Okay. Okay. Then we get to the action. And that process is in the, it could be in the therapy process, although that's not a proven framework or anything. There's cer- certainly many frameworks empirically studied that, that do work. That's just my approach to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, that, but that's that process. Then we can get to the action of what we need to, need to address, in this, in this case, money. If we don't do the first two, okay, if we don't admit, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. P- period. Okay. So we can't get to the action. And if we don't acknowledge how we feel and process that, then we still can't get to the action. And then we get to the action. And then that's a hard part, too, is is nudging folks to actually jump the broom, so to speak. <laughs> so the admitting is probably not the hard, hard part as far as you are concerned. Right. If I'm seeking out the wise counsel of a financial therapist, I've probably already admitted that something isn't right. Right. It's the getting me to actually acknowledge the way I feel about it and then understanding the way that I feel about it is where I think the, the the magic happens, so to speak. And this is obviously for me looking at it through the lens of somebody who isn't a financial therapist by any means, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I don't really dig too much into the intangible side of this, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the emotional side of it. But just thinking about it from my seat, what I do know, it, it seems like getting people to acknowledge their feelings and then understand those feelings is probably the toughest part about it. Would you agree? Yes, understanding the feelings. And I would say admitting you may be admitting to the wrong things, hmm. too. Hmm. Okay. I mean, just okay. just because just because you admit, you know, that you may admit to something that uh, that you're comfortable speaking about or mm-hmm. think that, that that that's the issue. And yet there's something else to admit to. So it could be a kind of like a not a switch and bait, a bait and switch, but a deflection is the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's one thing. So actually each step has their, has their difficulties and has their courage, okay, vulnerability in order to enter and, and go through, okay? Also, too, I, I know you're an experienced planner as well. We're, we're not therapists, neither am I. I'm not a, cl- a clinically trained therapist, but I can say this. Your, your money mindset is money psychology. It, it, that's what it is. And that's why you said you kicked off some, a lot of your meetings with that type of question, all right, is because you do need to have people walk themselves into their their relationships with money rather than you telling them. Having a process to to discover or unpack things. Like like you like you've asked me a couple of times already on this show, which is, okay, here's the main question. Have that person give you the dialogue back and then say, okay, let's unpack that. You see, that's where that admit stage is or that, and even at that acknowledge stage, okay? They started off 
with an answer. Mm-hmm. But yet when they started talking, they said, let's unpack it. That's where the magic is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What about when something bad happens to us? Right. And not even like in a catastrophic sense, just about a bad money decision. Right. There's some shame associated with being such a smart person and just making a bad financial decision. Right. Which a lot of people tend to do every once in a while. And then you're not open to advice down the road when somebody offers it to you. Right. Because you're still focused on that one time you made the mistake. And you've probably seen this, too. Right. Folks tend to clam up because they don't want to have to deal with the shame of having made that bad decision. If they work with you or talk to you, that means they've got to actually admit to that thing that they did using one of your action words. How do you keep them focused and kind of help them work past that sticking point as a practitioner? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a few things, and these may sound cliche. However, I was watching a TV show uh, one time, and it said, "Why do you always use cliches?" It said, "Because <laughs> they work." You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of them are tried and true, but you want to build that. That a lot of what we do is about trust. Mm-hmm. It's about mm-hmm. trust so, that someone needs to feel that they're in an environment that that they can be vulnerable. It may be totally against you know who they are. To, to do such a thing. And like you said, you know, r- reaching out, some, somebody may be reaching out just for the, for the money aspect of it, but unbeknownst to them that they're actually uh, reaching out to have some more discovery about themselves. And that takes a, a lot of ingredients, a lot of, of, of factors. And like I said, trust, a nurturing environment almost, a welcoming environment. So that person in confidence environment, uh, I also would say that it's on the the professional, right? The planner or the therapist or whatnot. Uh, you know, tone inflections, mm-hmm. uh, eye contacts, just being open, patience, Malcolm. Patience, letting someone work their way through a question, and and and, and repeat and repeating it if they if they need be. And somebody may say, you know, what do you, what do you mean by that? And you say, I'm glad you asked. And, and so you say, in other words, this, that, or, and another, and then let them process. Cause they may be deflecting back upon you so to give them a little time to process, right? Mm-hmm. But it's very important to let folks work their way through so they can start talking. There's, there's some people that are on each side of the fence of this, uh, Malcolm, which is mm-hmm. how much do you share, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, listen, stories are, are what it is. That there's a reason why you can read a, a little kid a story and they go to sleep. Heck, if I hear a story right now and I'm a grown person and I'm going <laughs> to sleep, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? But you know, stories help build relationships. They help build all those things of what I of which I just spoke of, right? A, a nurturing environment, a trusting environment, confidence, being able to relatability, right? Vulnerability, all those things. So sharing, not oversharing. Mm-hmm. But letting somebody know, hey, listen, you know, I, I've, when the time is right, you don't want to kind of lead with that. But as they start talking, be like, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Here's an example right here, you know, and then and have somebody relate with it. So you're sharing your own experience as a way to kind of open up and let them know that it's OK. You're not the only one who has made X mistake or X type of mistake or, or what have you. Is that what mm-hmm. I'm hearing? That's, ve- okay. that's very accurate. Yeah. Very accurate. Like I'm, I'm thinking about. Uh, so a client of, of mine who's a, a fairly long standing client, and I, I, I'll use her as my example because I know she'll 
laugh about it. We laugh about it now, but she wasn't laughing, you know, four or five years ago. But so mm-hmm. this particular client is a physician, right? So we can already assume this person is of above average intelligence, right? To be able to go to school for 50,000 years to even become a physician, we have to assume that you've got some level of, of intelligence and sophistication about you, right? She's a, a, a single woman, right? So no kids, no husband to be concerned about providing for financially. And you can probably already tell where I'm going with this based on those two variables. But she, at the time we met, had five life insurance policies. Wow. No husband, no kids. At the time, she didn't own a home. And somebody had sold her five life insurance policies because physicians, one thing they're always concerned about is stuff is going to happen. And so they're very Mm -hmm. good about ensuring all the different stuff that can happen that can get in the way or keep them from being a physician tomorrow. So much so that she allowed this person to just heap all these different policies on her. And one of them we couldn't even get out of because it was so binding and so like just like ridiculous the way it was set up. But Mm -hmm. when we first met, like we had to have four conversations before, to your point, she trusted that I wasn't trying to sell her something on top of it to to collect a commission and ride off into the sunset because she was so upset with herself for feeling like she had gotten taken. Mm. I had to do everything I could not to harp on the fact that like this is bad, like you're paying thousands, tens of thousands of dollars a year for something you are never going to really see the benefit of because the way we normally place insurance with clients, it's because you want to provide financially for a person or a thing that's going to be left behind, you know, once you are no longer here. And in this case, it didn't exist. So it just didn't make sense that at least this much insurance would be in, in, in the way. But like I said, it took four meetings. I'll say it probably took a year of conversation after we were first introduced before she mm-hmm. finally opened up and was willing to take advice and, and hear an alternate solution because she was so upset and couldn't get past that mental hurdle of, I can't believe I did this. I feel like I'm supposed to be such a smart person that I can't believe I made such a big mistake. Right. And so mm-hmm. that that causes I, I mentioned stress before and, and, and said I was going to figure out a way to tie it back in. So this is that just so you know. So, mm-hmm. no, you know, no, there's great. like because that that seriously, that creates like this stress on you of. I can't believe I did that. I'm supposed to be this smart person. Everybody in in my family or whatever knows me to be a person who's pretty good about making decisions, pretty good with money, whatever. Even for people who are in pretty good financial shape, there's stress around managing money. Right. And Mm -hmm. that old age saying more money, more problems. Right. Does actually ring true for some people. And so I've even seen where rather than take any action at all. Similar to the situation I just described, where for a year she didn't do anything, folks will opt out and just say, I'm not going to do anything and continue putting off having to deal with their finances in perpetuity. In some cases, we'll call it paralysis by analysis. Right. That's the term we love to use in our textbooks. And I know, again, fear may be a part of that one as well. But the fear of making a wrong decision keeps you from making a decision at all. How do you keep people from getting stuck there or how do you help people move through that mental hurdle. So much there to unpack. Wow. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> that's great stuff. No softballs. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, there's too many. I got to hit one of them. When you mentioned, you mentioned stress. And one thing people carry around, an alternate word for that is a burden. Hmm. 
They, mm-hmm. ca- they carry around a burden, burden of guilt, burden of shame, burden of uh, fear of wrong decisions, bur- burden of uh, not knowing. And, you know, that's just that's just life, which is one. And this is here's that process. Right. One must forgive oneself. You know, after you admit, you got to forgive yourself mm-hmm. in order to move on. So and, and to your question, you know, how do you let somebody get to that point? And I would reiterate patience. See, hmm. you you offered the environment for that client, Malcolm, to to juxtapose from what her experiences were, were with other professionals. Mm-hmm. But see, you you offered you offered patience in a different environment. Okay, you cultivated that. So that's why she came around. Remember, we, we were talking about why do we use quote unquote cliches or, so, or but it's not necessarily cliches. Sometimes we overanalyze over evidence base over this, over that. And sometimes mm-hmm. the simplest the simplest approach is is the right approach. Most of the time it is. Most of the time it is. And and in your story, you simply offered a different environment for her to gain trust and comfort on her own time mm-hmm. so she could process what she was going through. And arrive at it at her own time. You have a client for life there. Is this a relationship? Oh, and it, and it, uh, no question. Yeah. So those are the things that I saw in your story, and and patience it w- was was one of them. Sticking with the whole stress piece for a second, and I apologize to anybody who's listening to this, and now I'm creating feelings of stress for you. But so I've noticed some employers over the last. I'll say five-ish years, probably been longer than that. Some employers have been making financial wellness a priority and offering different variations of these services to their employees around this, whether it's meeting with a financial therapist or a financial coach or a financial planner or automated uh, virtual classes that they subscribe to on behalf of their employees, all those kind of things. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, there's an old age uh, adage that we can talk about productivity, when you're mm-hmm. at the work, mm-hmm. when you're at the workplace, if you got if you have something going on in your life, all right, that that uh, negates uh, pro- productivity. We want healthy relationships at work. You know, now the the common practices, or I guess it may or may not be common, but it's actually trending that way. Is we want our our workplaces to be more interactive, right? Mm-hmm. More more well rounded. You know, well being, if you may. Workplaces just weren't approached like that back in the day, hmm. right? And if we're able to build these environments to where we can uh, collaborate, care for one another, be considerate, we're there to work. I mean, so we're not going to just go around a circle and hold hands. But at the same time, if we're if we're healthy all around, this is the same reason why gym memberships, there's gyms on campuses, work campuses now, or mm-hmm. you get discounted uh, gym memberships and whatnot, is because that's all a part about well-being. And well-being packages consider psychology as well. It's like, okay, we want to discover something before it becomes an issue, or if there, if it is an issue, then we want to take care of it so we can we can have all these uh, positive aspects or positive outcomes coming from it. Say more about the other side of that for a second, though. You're talking about the goodies and what happens when you offer these services. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk for a second about how financial stress might keep somebody from being able to function in their role at work. Okay, I mean, we will talk about bill collectors and whatnot. If you, if you, I mean, come on now. I mean, we listen. <laughs> I just heard that I think bill collectors going to go start through social media now. I believe that's going to that's a oh, thing. Oh man, I, I believe I believe that's so. I got to look more into it. But you know, you have to worry about who being worried about being found out. 
Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In in any aspect of life, but you're wearing you're worrying about getting that call at work, getting discovered that it you may have a maybe eviction notice coming, even though you may take care of your finance. Look, we're in there in this pandemic right now. You know, nobody wants to admit that or voice that they're going through a stage to where it's a possibility that they may have to leave their home or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's that burden. Again, we're talking about a burden. We're talking about a burden of being found out. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that, that fractures your concentration. That fractures your esteem. These are all inputs that you need in order to be successful at any job that you do. Hmm. Okay. So if you have if you're carrying around those burdens and those fears and that anxiety, okay, then that affects your what what you're trying to do professionally. Yeah, it's interesting how well let me first give your disclaimer that I'm not a clinically trained psychologist before I say this, right? But mm-hmm. it's interesting how stress in general just shuts down a person's good decision making, right? So if you're starving, like not hungry, but literally starving, the only thing you can think about is food, right? The only thing you mm-hmm. can think about in the moment when you are starving is how to get food. Your body can't function and think about and do anything else because it needs food. So we watch the news one day and we're flipping through channels and they tell you about a guy who went to jail because he robbed Subway for a $5 sandwich, right? And we're like, how could a person be that stupid? It's a $5 sandwich. All you have to do is ask 10 people and somebody would have given you five bucks. But we can't quite put ourselves in the mindset of a person who is so hungry that stealing a $5 sandwich felt like a good idea in the moment because that's what stress does to us, right? So you can only imagine the the financial decision-making sometimes that comes from having that same level of stress on you from, to your point, where am I going to sleep tonight? I got this bill collector hunting me down. They're trying to take my car back and all these different things. And so it's interesting, again, that, that, jo- that workplaces have taken up the mantle of we are going to provide you with some services as part of your overall benefits package to help mm-hmm. make sure that as few of you as possible can be in these situations, the better off you all are, the more productive you all are, which then means that we get it back in the form of productivity here at work. And mm-hmm. then to the point you were making real quick, and then I'll move on, but you made a point about being found out. And that was interesting to me because it triggered a, a thought that I had about these studies that I keep seeing where people in human resources are getting stressed out because they're having to go to people at work and approve or not approve their requests for hardship withdrawals from their 401k plans. And so Mm -hmm. they're having to be the person that's seen as the gatekeeper between me getting access to the cash that I need to stay in my house, as an example that you used, or Mm -hmm. to, to keep food in my kids bellies or whatever, the HR person is being seen as the the blockade to me being able to do that because it's been put on the HR person to approve or not approve those hardship mm-hmm. withdrawal requests. So really interesting mm-hmm. dynamic there. And, and you know, obviously yeah. it'll be far more to come out on it um, as as time goes on. And I'm sure coming out of the current COVID crisis, like there'll be quite a bit of financial wreckage, right? There's there's just no mm-hmm. way to to get away from 20 million or so jobs lost through this whole thing, call it a year and a half, two years, whatever it ultimately ends up being, there's no way that the pandemic's not going to have a lasting effect, right? And it's not only exposed inequities all throughout this country, it's also 
unfortunately created some new ones, right? So right. what are some of the ways that you foresee financial therapy will be able to help fill that need and help people get their lives back on track? Yeah, I, I believe it's going to be in high demand. And if, I just want to interject one more thing on that point that we were trying to make, too. I, I want to go mm-hmm. up a rung, so so to speak, on the social economic class as well. There's this big myth that the only people that have, quote unquote, issues or problems with money are, so, are the quote unquote, lower middle class or the mm-hmm. middle class mm-hmm. or the poor or whatnot. Now, being found out with a an, a, an a abundance of resources, so to speak, you could be over levered. There's a being found out of being, I think it was an old, uh, I forgot what rapper said, there's no fruit, no uh, fronting in your future, no f- future in your fronting, right? <laughs> and <laughs> that's old school. I just dated myself. But it's being found out that way as well, okay? Oh, I'm sending my, my, my kid or my child to college. And, oh, I'm paying for it every semester, this, that, and the other, okay? But then that's stress and worry because there's d- difficulty in that. Or I have mm-hmm. these X, Y, and Z cars, or these X, Y, and Z clothes, or I've taken these X, Y, and Z trips going to the golf tournaments and whatnot. There's there's stress of being found out in that as well. So I just wanted to address this myth that money problems, so to speak, even with psychology and emotion, is all wrapped up into certain demographics and certain socioeconomic classes. I said it and and, and said it a little bit in jest, but no, to, to quote the great philosopher Christopher Wallace one more time, more money, more problems is a serious, mm-hmm. a serious notion. Uh, you have what I like to call high class problems. You know, that's the way mm-hmm. I describe mm-hmm. it to my clients, but it's a problem to be solved nonetheless. So no, super, super interesting point and, and very important to, to, to point out. But mm-hmm. in traditional financial planning, right, bringing it back to the, the compare yep. contrast Again, the certified financial planner designation has emerged as the gold standard to let the public consumer know whether their practitioner they want to hire is at the top of their game or not. Right. Is there a set of letters in the financial therapy community that would reliably guide a consumer to a quality practitioner the same way the CFP guides people to a quality financial planner practitioner? Uh, sure. And being that to your previous point, the pandemic is going to more than likely increase services or demand, at least mm-hmm. for both financial therapy itself and, and also financial planning. Uh, this is this is a little difficult when you're talking about a therapist, per se. Through the Financial Therapy Association, we've came up with a we've created a new designation. You know, it doesn't say that you are a trained clinician. Mm-hmm. Okay. It does not say that, you know, it doesn't say that you're medically trained to be a therapist. What it does say is that you are familiar with some of the tools and methods to have a conversation well, with a with a client uh, about their their money psychology, their, their, their money behaviors and relationals, dealings with, with, with money and whatnot. It's called the Certified financial therapist, mm-hmm. and right now it's uh, level one, so it is a designation. Again, I just want to just just stress that it's it doesn't signal that you're a claim, uh, a trained clinician, but it it, it it is a signal nonetheless. Mm-hmm. You've taken the time to read. There's 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 a there's a lot of books. There's a lot of uh, uh, sessions. Uh, it it is an educational hurdle, an informational hurdle, a time hurdle in order to invest into this knowledge. Mm-hmm. All right. So if someone does have that designation, uh, they have attempted to to specialize in an area. 
so, so, sort of like any other specialty area, whether it be charitable giving or, or you know, certified divorce specialist or retirement or whatnot. And then, then the designation list uh, c- uh, continues. And that was a certified financial therapist, you said? Yes. Okay. Yes. CFT. Yeah, I want I want the cheat code, man. We as as humans using uh, heuristics, there's the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. We're trained mm-hmm. to try and find the cheat code, right? We want to get to the answer as quickly as possible so that we can move to the next thing. So that's what I was looking for, the certified financial therapist. But it sounds like you had another one for me. Yes. And I, this is this is a little bit more difficult to find. And this is just investigating the firm and the practitioner and seeing how they what is their philosophy about going about managing your personal finances? What is what is that? And they can be conveyed on a website sometimes. And if your website is good enough, then it should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, How how is that? Uh, And I and I say that to say this life centered planning Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is is very much a thing. It's and that's how I practice. My philosophy is well, I you, you use money mindset. Mine is life money balance. It's aligning mm-hmm. your life with your money. They have to work. That's where my firm is concurrent. They have to work concurrently in partnership in the same direction in order to make the the most transformational impact on one's life. Finding out what that 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 you know having a life-centered planning process, which is discovery, which takes courage and, and boldness to say, what do you actually want to reveal, say, uncover, dream, aspire? What's holding you back, do you, do you think? Can you share that with me? Uh, what would you like to do differently? What would you see differently in a perfect scenario? That, that is a philosophy in and of itself, all right? So if somebody sees that on a website or hears somebody on a podcast or in an article or something like that, it's that investigating the philosophy. That's something to think you want to ask for maybe in that initial consultation. Many professionals just, they offer that meet and greet. Okay. And we see these questions all the time with top 10 things you need to ask your advisor. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And th- this is one of, what is your philosophy, your philosophical approach to helping people with their money? Okay. And that's, that's one way to, that's what one way to do it as well. As I'm closing out the show, my last question has absolutely nothing to do with financial planning and, and financial therapy, which may scare you and may uh, excite you depending on how much coffee you've had already today. But let's say (laughs) that you never discovered the financial services industry at all, right? Even the academic side of it, right? But money wasn't a factor in your decision making. What do you think you'd be doing right now? Mm, Man, uh, see, look at you, you're a practitioner of (laughs) of these questions. I asked this question myself and, and now I'm on the other side. Oh my goodness, Malcolm. Uh, you know what? I would be a a writer. Okay. I've been writing poetry for 30 years now. I wrote my first poem when I was 11. Hmm. I still have the majority of my writings. I still have the original script. Want to put that in a, in a in a book or something like that here uh, one of these days. But I just I enjoy connecting with the inner self, the inner realm of thought, the inner realm of of emotion, the 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 outer realm of discovery, the of purpose, of uh, aligning thought and emotion and dreams and all this and outlook with uh, with what's going on here on, on the earth, hmm. and just really going going into a deeper 
level of thought. And, and writing has allowed me to do that. Writing has allowed me with, to connect with people in, in an innate way and just really understand all these, right? All these, uh, I think it's helped me with all these emotions that we're talking about, (laughs) really. So yes, I'd I'd be a writer and I'd just travel the world and just, uh, I would love to be James Baldwin-esque or Hmm. Robert Frost or something like that. I mean, so, yeah. That's interesting. Well, thanks, man. This was great. I appreciate you coming on and doing this. Where can people find you if they want more Dr. Preston after this? My firm website is concurrent. FP, as in financialplanning.com. And all of my handles, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, are, is uh, Dr. Preston Cherry. Okay, so, awesome. And that, you can find me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and take us home, man? Absolutely. Malcolm, I appreciate you bringing the doctor on. This just basically echoes what you've said time and time again. Surround yourself with smart people, and you're just going to get smarter along the way. Obviously, that was very, very true just by the content that you brought today. So thank you for bringing him on the show. And of course, the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you just a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing, and sound controls powered by top advisor marketing, Crowdmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.